Hi, everyone, and welcome to Storybook the Podcast. I am so excited today to have Micah Mortali on with me. He is the author of Rewilding, which is published by Sounds True. Micah, welcome. And is there anything else you want to tell us about what you're up to lately? Hey, Heidi. Uh, great to be here. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Um, other things that I do. So, yes, I, I, I wrote the book Rewilding. And um, aside from that, I also, around the same time frame, founded uh, a new school uh, at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. So I created the Kripalu School of Mindful Outdoor Leadership. And through KSMOL, which is our acronym, uh, I train people to become mindful outdoor guides. So essentially mindful outdoor guides are folks who um, through mindfulness and awareness practices help modern human beings forge a, a deepening relationship and bond with the natural world. Um, I'm also the founder of Shire Quests LLC, which is my guide business here in the Berkshires. And I lead uh, programs here uh, in the Berkshires on uh, rewilding ancestral skills, um, uh, arch uh, intuitive and traditional archery, um, tracking and um, wilderness survival, along with um, you know private uh, outings and uh, hikes and camping trips and all kinds of good stuff like that. I also work with individuals uh, as a consultant and with um, businesses and corporations um, as a consultant to help them integrate these practices into uh, their HR interventions for their staff. So. Micah, this is so exciting for me. I read your book. I was so excited to get a copy of that, a signed copy of the book. And I read it and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast at this time because anytime it would be so important. And I, I know a lot about nature deficit disorder, at least what that's been called in recent times. And perhaps you can speak about that too in, in a moment, what you think about that. But especially now that we're in this time of COVID, where a lot of us are feeling isolated, this idea of really getting more comfortable being outside. I like your idea also of the sit spot. There's so many things that you do that can help us in small ways to slowly be in nature more and more and then bigger ways too with all the things you're offering. So my first question for you before we get into all of that is I'm so interested in how you personally are so connected to your mission or to this work that you do. Are there any stories you could tell us about your connection with nature, how that was fostered or something, a special magical moment for you? Uh, okay. Well, I, um, you know, I kind of grew up close to the land, I guess you could say. So I grew up in uh, southeastern Connecticut, uh, near the coast. Uh, and, you know, the places where I lived as a child, I just always had access to uh, open spaces. Um, my parents bought some property when I was real young and built a house in the woods. And there was a year and a half or so, or, you know, it's kind of a span of time where we didn't have any electricity at all and uh, kind of lived a frontier lifestyle. So when I was maybe like four or five, we had a, a pump well and kerosene lanterns and didn't have a TV and um, just had, I can remember listening to the public radio. Like I think I can remember listening to Prairie Home Companion on the battery operated radio, you know, the candles and the wood stove and all that. So, you know, that was a formative experience for me. And then just, just growing up in the, you know, in the eighties, um, just, you know, didn't have a lot of technology around. 
you know, didn't have cable TV, didn't have video games or anything. So I just spent a lot of time sort of wandering and, um, you know, was sort of a, <laughs> sort of a free range kid, I guess, or as, you know, or what we used to just call a kid, you know? Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I would just kind of, you know, make fires and uh, shoot my BB gun and climb trees and just, you know, explore and had all that freedom, you know, that kids used to have. And uh, I think that shaped me big time. You know, after my folks divorced, it was a kind of a hard time in elementary school. And I didn't realize it, but I went to the woods and that was my, um, that was how I um, sort of, that was my therapy, I guess you could say as a child, it was the place where I went for um, healing. And it just continued all throughout my adolescence and young adulthood. Um, I just always found myself wanting to be in the woods and, um, you know, we used to live, uh, on a road that used, that used to connect to a bridge that went across the Connecticut river. Um, so there's a couple of bridges on the Connecticut river. The current bridge is the Baldwin bridge, which is right at the, at the mouth. Um, uh, but I lived on this road called old bridge road. And so there's just a couple of houses on it. But if I walked down to the end of my road, it was just a dead end in a 50 foot drop where the piling was for the old bridge that used to cross the Connecticut river. And so I used to walk down that road and then I would go down to the banks of the river. And, um, I just had the whole river to myself. It was like a half mile across or something. And I used to go down there and just, um, you know, throw sticks in the water and watch the river. And, you know, the, I can remember, uh, you know, we'd get like 50 turkey vultures that would perch up on the big electrical tower, you know, and they would just kind of open their wings up and dry off their wings when the sun would come up. And um, just all kinds of experiences I had down there. Um, you know, as I got into um, my into college years, I studied religion. I just found myself really drawn to different mystical traditions and contemplative paths and world religions. And um, I just went back and forth between sort of religion and spirituality and then sort of getting out in the woods and you know in college I built a wigwam like a traditional um, northeastern woodland home that many of the different tribes lived in and it's very drawn to circular round buildings and um, sacred spaces and um, in my early 20s um, became a therapeutic wilderness counselor for at-risk teens and did three years where I lived outside all year working with uh, with those folks and um, so it was just a journey, you know, and I, and I, the one story I, that I will sometimes share is, you know, when I was about 18 years old, uh, my dad took me to get my aptitudes tested at this facility in Boston. And it's a two day process where they run you through a number of different tests. And at the end of it, they tell you what you were born to do. Like, Hey, you're a, you're an accountant or, you know, you're, you'd be great in the trades or you, whatever. They just tell you, you know, what you're made to do essentially. And after the two days of testing, uh, the, the woman who was the PhD that was running the program, I guess, um, I was in her office and she had my file and she, you know, she, she said, well, Micah, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how to tell you this, but there's no career out there for you. And um, she said, you're going to have to create one. She said, you fall into this category, which we call an agent of change. And you're going to have to design and create a career for yourself that draws on the things that you're most passionate about. Uh, and that was actually reassuring because it felt true because I had never felt like there was any path, you know, that was carved out for me. 
Um, so, you know, my journey to this work has been um, sort of my, it's, it's just been the, the quest of my life, um, which is why like my company Shire Quests is called Shire Quests because it's about, um, you know, that journey of self-discovery. And for me, that's been very much one about uh, the relationship that uh, uh, exists between myself and the more than human world really between myself and, and the universe, which I sort of converse with through nature. And um, that's the work that I'm, you know, I'm feeling called to do. So. I, I really love hearing all of that, Micah. I feel as though I've, I remember bits and pieces of, of what you're sharing and some of it is nice to hear again because I didn't remember. I love what you said early on about how what we used to call just being a kid my mother used to say, once you go outside, you're not coming back in all day, have, you know, have a good time. <laughs> so um, I would try to at least sneak into use the bathroom, but she really wanted us to just stay outside, not just because she wanted us, not because she just wanted some time to be at home, but she really wanted us to be outside, just like what you said, I think. And, and really, I had a favorite tree and you just, I, even as a kid, I feel like I got to know at least the area around my house really well. So I love that you're bringing those memories back in a time even before mm. video games and or even if there were video games when people weren't using them quite as much so thank you for all of that and that's such a great story and I love hearing all the different things you're offering now the ways that you're offering for people to do the Shire Quest and other things and I want to just take a moment to go back to this term that I've heard and wonder what your take is on it when I hear this term nature deficit do you agree with, could you explain to us a little bit about that term and, and what do you feel and think about that? Yeah, nature deficit disorder is a term that was coined by a journalist and author Richard Louvre in his book, Last Child in the Woods, Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder, which was really a, a landmark work in the field of nature connection. Um, you know, Louvre is, you know, had a huge impact on this field uh, since he wrote that book. And I think has inspired an entire generation of people to, um, to uh, get out there and, and, and start to work to foster a, a reconnection between modern human beings and the natural world. Um, so he, you know, he, he basically identified a trend you know, in modern society. Uh, and as a journalist, he spent a lot of time researching that book. It's a fantastic book um, for anybody interested in this, in this field. And his, all of his books are great. Um, nature deficit disorder is not a um, diagnosis for a, you know, a psychological or medical, um, it's not a medical or psychological diagnosis. However, it is like a, it's a term that has given us something to use to talk about this, this trend of um, this mass migration indoors, which has been going on um, you know, probably in the 2000s, in this century, it's really accelerated. Um, what do I think about it? I mean, I think it's it's a very helpful uh, term uh, because it does give us a, a way in to begin talking about this. You know, there's lots of evidence to support this idea that um, modern human beings are experiencing a lack of connection and exposure to the natural world. Um, you know, Yoshifumi Miyazaki, who's sort of the, the grandfather of forest bathing in Japan, and one of the lead researchers on, you know, um, forest bathing, and I'm going to para paraphrase, but, you know, he's essentially said, as a species, we've spent 99.9% .9 of our evolutionary history outside, right? As, as human beings, our physiology is adapted to it. So when we allow our physiology to um, 
harmonize with that of the natural world, like we feel well, right? So it seems pretty obvious, self-evident, um, but you know, it's, it's helpful to have some evidence around this. And there's, there's lots and lots of evidence to, to show that, um, you know, access to green space is very important for both physical and mental health. Um, it led me into the territory of rewilding, um, which is uh, sort of, there's two kinds of rewilding. Um, there's the rewilding of ecosystems. So this would be um, allowing ecosystems to self-govern. So you might imagine like certain, certain sections of the ocean, you know, are, have been uh, put aside for, so that there's no commercial fishing so that, you know, populations can bounce back and you can you kind of remove that really intense pressure of commercial fishing on those areas and let them rewild. Um, you know, rewilding, you know, is the reintroduction of wolves in Yellowstone. And there's a great TED talk by George Monboy on the, the trophic cascade of what happened when wolves were reintroduced and they started predating on the elk and then that improved all it's amazing. Right. So it's like, um, but I think, you know, part of it too is human rewilding, which is what happens to our species when we as animals who evolved as part of natural landscapes, what happens to us when we are removed from our natural habitat habitat? Right. If, you, if we take a, a wolf and you put them in a square room with fluorescent lights and a screen and you <laughs> have them watch, you know, Netflix movies for wolves and eat dog food, you know, what's going to happen to that wolf? You know, it's, it's probably not going to be a happy wolf. It's probably going to go on medication and need a therapist. <laughs> right. So like, the, it, you know, what happens to human beings when, when you put us in a box? And you remove us from the stars and the trees and, 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 and our natural, you know, our, our natural diets and, and whatnot. So that's human rewilding. What does it mean to take modern people who are domesticated in a sense, who are really of the house and begin to, you know, reorient human beings with um, more ancestral ways of living, which really just involve like being closer to the land that you live on, the seasons, wild foods, um, sort of more traditional ways of being uh, on the land. So long way to say that, you know, nature deficit disorder sort of led me on this journey to, into human rewilding. And, you know, for me personally, um, helped me to bring together two worlds that I've always been trying to, to synchronize, which are the worlds of um, the human quest for meaning and spiritual awakening and the world of um, being out on the land and being in the forest or being connected to the natural world. And, you know, what I found was that um, really, you know, all the great mystical traditions emerged from, from people um, spending you know, significant amounts of time very much in relationship with the forces of the natural world and the universe, right? Like they didn't yoga and meditation and, you know, you know, even, you know, Jesus Christ spent 40 days sitting out in the desert on a solo fast, right? Um, before, you know, he came back and really began his work. Obviously, the Buddha main, uh, awakened under the Bodhi tree, you know, in the forest. Um, and certainly all the indigenous cultures the world over link, you know, their spirituality and their meaning to their connection to the forces of nature. So my work is about... Um, 
bringing these these two worlds together um and uh yeah i really enjoy it and that's and that is one of so micah the content of what you teach is very inspiring to me some of the things you've said i want people to know they can revisit that in your book you know definitely talking about nature deficit disorder and other things so they can see your book rewilding for that and i love the content i love these stories that you're telling right now and every time I hear you speak, a lot of the work that I do, so people who follow me know about this, is really marveling at how when people listen to their own calling, the amazingness of what they're able to create. So I, I love your story about how they said you're an agent of change. And even for some people who might have a more um, traditional career or whatever, however it goes, I just, one of the things that I love about your story as a human is that you're able, like you said, to combine these two worlds that interested you, the man's search for meaning as well as the outdoors. And for me, there's this magic that you had these two things that mattered to you and now they come together and you're able to really offer it to the world. And at a time where, at least in my lifetime, it's only gotten more important. When I think of the convergence of what you do and the time that we're living in, it's just magical to me that, and I just use that term lightly, magical, but that it really synced up because like I said, it would be useful anytime in my lifetime. We all have needed this, like you said, especially in the 2000s, but right now more than ever, it's so important. And to me, that is so beautiful that that happened for you. And so I just wanted to pause and let other people who are listening know that I believe that if you keep listening to your heart and your calling and what lights you up, that things will come together in some way, even if it's a side project or if it does become a career, that you have something so special in you that your unique gifts are really needed in the world and that meditation and other ways of contemplation can help us keep connecting to those messages if we're not sure or not clear. Whereas Micah, you sound, sounds like you've been clear at times what you are passionate about, maybe not the career yet, but, but at least the things that interest you. So I just wanna say that that's so beautiful and I want to circle back and say, so for people like me, I've told Micah that I was raised in a very indoorsy way. So on the one hand, my mother said, go outside and play. She was amazing about that. And she only fed us real food, as we say, real whole food. She didn't feed us junk food or packaged food. And yet also, I really loved being inside. I did a ton of theater, a ton of symphonies. I was in museums all the time. I love museums. I love museums so much that the Renaissance skies that were painted, I actually thought they were exaggerated and they were from the painter's imagination. But then after spending so much more time outside and staring at the sky, I realized that, yes, these painters had amazing imagination, but actually the sky is, it can change, it changes every day and the colors are blow my mind. So I like that I have an in, I had an indoorsy life in, in that way with art and music and theater. And I also like that my mom pushed us to be outside a lot. And so what I wanted to talk to you about, Micah, is that now that I'm older and I want to find more new ways to keep getting outside, especially based on what you've said, I've heard you talk about the term sit spot, for example. And I just wonder if that's something you would be willing to circle back to and talk to us about that, how to do it, what it is, and what you find as benefits. Sure. Yeah. So the, uh, the sit spot is uh, uh, sort of a universal practice in the nature connection community and world. And, you know, I trace it back to in terms of a lineage, you know, uh, I learned it from Tom Brown Jr., the you know, world famous tracker 
and founder of the, uh, the Tracker School down in New Jersey in the Pine Barrens. And Tom learned it from his teacher, Stalking Wolf, who was a South Lippin Apache. Um, and so the sit spot really was um, a core practice that was you know, taught to folks to help them um, establish awareness. It's really all about awareness. Um, you know, there's a, there's a phenomenon that Louvre writes a little bit about in his book called sensory anesthesia, which is one of the outcomes of nature deficit disorders. So it's a loss of the senses, right? Um, our wild ancestors, um, our hunting and gathering ancestors had their senses were finally attuned to their environment because it was essential for survival that you are listening and smelling and feeling and sensing, um, you know, living indoors, um, you know, we, we're not on the food chain anymore. Right. So we, we got up somehow through our technological advancements, we managed to jump off of the food chain as a species. And that's awesome. Right. It's, it's definitely, helps you sleep at night knowing that, you know, you're not going to be predated upon <laughs> by a saber tooth cat or something. But the, the, the issue is that over time, and as we migrate more indoors, the senses just no longer have the same need anymore. We can just lock our doors, close our windows, everything can get shipped to us by Amazon and we're very safe and protected. And I think, you know, my feeling about it is that that level of, you know, safety is not safe. It's too safe. Um, and I think when we lose our access to our senses, we're losing um, our sense of being alive. Uh, and I, I sometimes will refer to it as life force deficit. You know, in yoga, we talk about prana or life force or chi or, you know, the sense of being alive, you know, and um, modern life has sort of robbed us of this sense. Um, we, we've gotten so comfortable, you know, it's like if you see Wally, it's like that. Like, it's like we've just gotten so comfortable, we don't even have to do anything. Um, you know, and, uh, so, so the sit spot is about this practice of awakening and attuning our senses, being uh, really aware of our environment. So it addresses sensory anesthesia, um, because when we're sitting out on the land and this is like, you can think about your sit spot as like a daily or, you know, a, a practice you do regularly where you go out onto the land, could be your backyard, could be your back porch, could be, if you can't get outside, could be by your window with the window open and your awareness just transmitted out over the land around you. And it could be the city, right? It doesn't have to be in a wild place. You could be on your fire escape and you know, you're looking out and there's gonna be wind moving, there's gonna be birds, there's gonna be clouds. So nature's everywhere, nature's in you, okay? And this is one thing I really try to drive home and reinforce for people is like, nature isn't out there. You are nature. Like your body, your brain, your awareness, your senses are an expression of the living earth. So uh, we can tap into this in any environment, you know, as long as we can sort of, you know, if we have an open window, that's good. It's a start. So that sit spot practice is about getting out and sitting and being very still and just paying attention and noticing what's happening in the moment. So it's a mindfulness practice because your attention is on the present moment. Um, and, and what starts to unfold as you sit on the land regularly is that you begin to notice things. You know, it might start with, I never really noticed, you know, the tree 
that was growing in my yard before. I never really noticed it. It's always been there. I've always seen it, but I never really noticed, you know, the way, you know, the branching pattern, you know, opens up. I never really noticed that there are these birds that seem to come in and out of that tree all the time, right? I never really noticed that, um, you know, there's all these little insects, you know, that are crawling around at the base of this tree. Like you just start to pay, you just start to notice, right? And as you start to notice, um, you start to get to know the place. And hopefully you do this throughout the year, so through different seasons. And maybe you'll start to notice that, um, oh, hey, it's not just birds, but there's actually, there's two birds that seem to be here every day. Um, oh, and now I know that, you know, those are cardinals. Oh, okay. And, and now I actually know that there's just two cardinals and, oh, they're nesting in the bush next to the tree. And then now, now it's, I don't just know that they're birds or that they're cardinals, but it's, they're, it's an individual bird. You're right. And now I start to form a, an intimacy, a bond with those particular birds. And it, it's that kind of sort of reciprocity and sense of relationship and, and closeness that is, I think is really essential for um, healing um, our relationship with the natural world. Um, and so the sit spot can be a very, very simple, easy and powerful tool for um, beginning to um, deepen your relationship with the place where you live. Uh, and it's, it is really applicable for this time because as you know, with COVID people not traveling as much, um, it's, I think it's important to really know place. And, you know, there's this whole movement of education, education called, you know, pedagogy of place, place-based learning, um, where we can, um, just take advantage of where we live. And, um, you know, I always like to begin by doing research and acknowledging the people who are indigenous to the land that I'm living on, um, learning about them, where they are now, um, who they are you know, what their relationship to the land was, learning a little bit about the colonial history. If you live in the United States or other places that were colonized, learning about the history, um, you know, and then learning all about, you know, the natural history, you know, the, the geology, the geography, uh, bioregionalism, watersheds, you know, just getting to know the place where you live. And I think that um, I would love to see more schools embrace a place-based approach. Um, you know, it's, it's so funny that, you know, you, you could have a, a river right next to the, your school that, you know, has tons of wildlife might have, you know, environmental issues, you know, here in the Berkshires, we've got, you know, a river that's got a lot of history and, and yet, you know, kids are learning about places that are thousands of miles away. They don't know about the animals that are living. <laughs> Told you someone might sneeze. Yeah. 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 Um, so <laughs> naked, place, place based learning is, uh, you know, it, it's what sit spot is all about. Yeah. I really like that. You know, Micah, I think hearing you talk about it that way, it makes me think about, I've had some conversations with people lately and how they're feeling isolated in during COVID. And one of the things that's hard is not gathering with friends as much as they were before in the ways they were. So one of it is missing the friends. And then the other thing is that people have been missing travel. So going to other places. And what's coming up for me right now is this idea that perhaps one of the opportunities that this would offer is in missing connections with other people, which is very valid, we need community, and in missing connection to the ability to travel, 
it's opening up an opportunity to get to know our own space in this more intimate way is what's coming up for me now. So meaning what I'm trying to say with this is we might be missing the connection in person with friends and we might be missing connections that we can make through travel. This could give us an opportunity to find that very special type of connection and belonging and sense of prana and self and aliveness in space by actually appreciating in a deeper, more still way, even that small area around us. And I think I was thinking about this recently too, when people were saying how they're missing connections with other people. And, and I feel that too at times, some people I know don't have a deeper connection with themselves, either just meaning even sitting in meditation for a short while, or just there are other ways of feeling connection in addition to with other people. And so I love what you're saying, because this could be opening up that space to sit in a space, whether, like you said, it's just looking out your window every day, or sitting even on a small patch of land that you might have, a backyard or a front yard, and doing research about it. And I think what I remember as being a kid is I loved learning about geology. I loved gems and minerals was my favorite thing to learn about. And I know so many children who love to learn about gems and minerals. So as I'm hearing you talk, I imagine there's so many ways that children could get interested in that if parents were interested too for themselves about sit spots or again I know kids seem to get a lot of joy out of picking a stick for example so things like that so thanks for for bringing that up again because I think that's something that's important for any time but especially right now when we're looking for new ways of connection yeah absolutely so in conclusion before we wrap this up the other thing I just wanted to connect with you about and ask your opinion or suggestions for is thinking about as we're heading in toward winter, the winter season, I do hear sometimes people are concerned that they're going to be stuck inside even more because of cold or snow or other changes that happen when winter comes. And I've talked to you before about that off the record and I'm wondering, can you let us know suggestions about maybe if we have this concern that because the weather's changing, we'll, we will be more stuck inside. Yeah, well, um, I happen to be one of those people that just loves winter. You know, I love the cold. So uh, I know I'm, I'm in the minority of oftentimes with that. Uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, it's important just to remember that, again, like as a, as a species, um, you know, we, we, I, I'm always fascinated by the Ice Age. And I think that the last Ice Age lasted a few hundred thousand years. Um, so we come from, folk who, you know, who managed to survive and thrive like through an ice age, right? So um, winter and what winter offers is uh, powerful and beautiful and profound. Um, and so, you know, what they say in the, in the, in the um, Norwegian countries is, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. So what I would encourage you to do is, you know, if you can, it's a great excuse to do some shopping and get some wool, you know, get yourself some wool, right? Wool is king. Get yourself some wool, you know, get um, some nice um, waterproof and windproof outer layers. Get yourself geared up for the winter. Like, you know, if, 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 if you feel like really um, uncomfortable in the cold, then invest in some quality wool or otherwise like warm clothing for the winter time. Get yourself some good boots, a good hat, 
and um, just make a commitment to go outside every day and walk and experience, you know, there, when water transforms from liquid to crystal, when that happens, that is magical. You know, going out in the morning and walking and seeing, you know, the earth just covered in crystal ice formations, like get down really low and just look at those individual frost crystals on the blades of grass. Look at the leaves that are covered in frost. Um, watch the puddles as they start to form geometric patterns. Uh, like this is incredible when this happens. Um, it's this whole time when the earth is cleansed, right? Um, you know, the cold comes in and sort of cleans everything. It's a reset. And um, it is beautiful. If we can come, if we can approach it just with sort of mindfulness, if we can bring our, our pure awareness to the winter and, um, and just open ourselves up to it, we're going to be surprised at what we discover. Um, you know, th there are animals out on the land that their coats change in the wintertime. You know, they become camouflaged for the winter. Um, all different birds, you know, it's, it's our more really hardy local birds are present. So you can kind of see who the locals are. You know, the other thing in the wintertime is if you're somewhere where there's snow cover, the tracking is phenomenal. So you can become curious and learn so much about the animals that you share your land with, our friends in the more than human world, because all of their footprints are, are captured in the snow. And that can be a totally life-changing experience to um, you know, become more acquainted with our nocturnal friends who are moving at night on the land. So um, there's just so much. The other thing I would offer too is um, make friends with fire. Um, you know, invest in a fire pit or find a place in your backyard where you can have a fire. And there's just nothing like sitting outside in the winter by, by a roaring fire at night and looking up and seeing the stars and, um, you know, just having a nice warm beverage out there. Um, you know, fire is our friend in the wintertime. It's been, uh, you know, one of the great elements that's been so, you know, important in our evolution as a species. Um, so, and if you can't get outside, then, you know, Get yourself a nice beeswax candle and spend some time as it gets close to the solstice at night, you know, wrapped up in a blanket and gazing at the, at the candle and uh, experiment with candle meditation. Um, you know, as we draw, as we, as we kind of head into the darker months, the closer we can come to these ancestral uh, manifestations of light um, kind of open up doorways for us that are, I think are very healing and powerful. I love that. I love that so much how you said that because winter is actually my favorite season and I thought it was just because I was born in December so I thought I was born on a super snowy night my dad always tells me the story about how he had an intuition I was going to be born and he went shoveling and shoveling and my mother was like what are you doing she's not due or the baby's not due for a while and my dad was like I have an intuition and he shoveled and shoveled and shoveled and then that night my mother went into labor and she couldn't believe that he had that intuition. And, wow. and he said, well, I can sleep an extra half hour because I already shoveled. So you can't sleep at it. I was the first child. She's like, what do you mean sleep an extra half hour? Like, um, so it was, um, so I always thought that's why, but when I hear you describe it with the crystals and it was, I was pretty old. I mean, relatively speaking, when I finally one time looked on my coat jacket and saw that the snowflakes really look 
like these magical individual things that I used to make cutouts of in preschool. I mean, I think I, it wasn't until I was, I think, 12 or 13. I've, I'd always seen the clumps of snow, but that I really ended up seeing a snowflake, an individual snowflake on my coat. And I was blown. I was like, did you know that snowflakes really look like they're so individual, like they say? And seeing the first snowflake like that was amazing. And I remember when I would walk at Kripalu, to my car from the building when it was covered in snow and the moon would be shining and it's just sparkly that real life is sparkly <laughs> i think it's like what you're saying the crystals and everything and i think how can we not be amazed by snow and the moon the moon shines on the snow and it's sparkly or i'm going to work maybe the way the sun is shining and i'm walking on sparkles it's kind of amazing so i definitely love the way that you described it, Micah, and help us. You're so incredible at describing things in a way that helps us be more mindful. The details, and like you said, engaging the different senses really is amazing, and you you guide that so well. So thanks for giving us that experience today, especially as winter is coming. As we wrap up, Micah, if you want to review or let us know some of the ways, even if there's just one way people can find out more about you, where can they start to find out what your opportunities are, both that maybe they can experience in person or if they don't live near here virtually, such as reading your book, Rewilding, or other things? How can they continue to learn more about you as you share your work with us? Yeah, sure. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on, um, Heidi. It's great to connect with you, and I love hearing you talk about sparkly, walking on sparkles. <laughs> That's so cute. Um, so um, you folks can keep up with me through my website, uh, which is michaelmortali.com. And uh, so all of my um, offerings and programs and um, everything offers pretty much up there. I also have a, a faculty page on the Kripalu site. So you can just look me up, uh, Mike Mortali Kripalu as well. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram um, uh, at Michael Mortali, And uh, I'm on Facebook as well. Michael Mortality. There's not a lot of other Michael Mortalities out there, so I'm easy to find. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, heading into 2021, I'm going to be offering a whole raft of uh, small in-person offerings um, up here in the Berkshires that are going to be focused on everything from um, rewilding and ancestral skills to um, kind of honoring some of the different um, solstices and equinoxes to um, beginning to offer next year a, a series of programs on um, traditional and instinctive archery as a form of meditation and awareness. So if, if you've ever been interested in learning how to shoot the bow and arrow, uh, it's an amazing practice. So um, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening next year. I'm really pumped. And uh, yeah, and then also the School of Mindful Outdoor Leadership will be offering uh, more trainings for Mindful Outdoor Guides next year as well. So I'm excited for that. And I have a, another online course with Kripalu, Go Outside, Go Within, that I, I think I'll be offering next year as well. So lots going on. And, uh, it's all on the website. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's good to know since so we can keep up to date with you as well. If things aren't on the website now, we can always check back a little bit later. Thank you so much, Micah. I'm so grateful that you were here and I can't wait for our listeners to have access to this podcast and learn more about you. Oh, Heidi, it was really great to connect with you again and uh, just congratulations on, on the wonderful work you're doing. And thank you again for having me on. My pleasure. <laughs>